Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I want to thank you for each person here today. And I ask, Father, please, that you just bless. Bless as they've taken the time out of their day to come into your house to worship you. And in particular, Father, on this Christmas Sunday, as we think about more specifically your son's birth as the Savior of the world and our relationship with him. So we praise you for that. I pray that you will just allow our hearts, Father, to be receptive to you. Help us to uh, hear you. Help us to respond to you accordingly. And, and may you just be well pleased with our hearts, worshiping you, not just in song, but, Father, in focus, in desire, in hunger for you uh, as we look through your word. For we ask it in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. So today uh, we're continuing Miracles of Christmas Part 4. And the, t- t- the title of today's message is Miracle of the Manger. Miracle of the Manger. We're going to be concluding, uh, like I said, our series of Miracles of Christmas. Last week we looked at the miracle of the method God used. I thought that was interesting. The method that God used to introduce Jesus to the world, the Messiah to the world, right? That he sent his son to bring us salvation. We read about the account of Jesus' birth in Luke chapter 2. We saw how God used ordinary people like the shepherds for his kingdom work. He chose the method of allowing his son to be born in humble circumstances. And that's not the method any of us would have chosen to introduce the King of Kings and Lord of Lords to the world, right? If we were put in charge of that, that would not be the method. So just the concept of the method that God uses is unorthodox in our rational thinking. But the unorthodox ways that God works are the very things that God uses to grab our attention and to accomplish what he wants to accomplish through those abnormal, if you will, unorthodox, unexpected ways that he works. He works throughout the scripture that way. He works in our lives that way as we recognize his presence in our lives. So let's go back to Luke chapter 2, verse 10 through 12. It says, and read again, and let's read again what the angels proclaimed. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. I love that. Great joy to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. Again, not the way that we would have presented Jesus. The angels are proclaiming a miracle in the manger, the long-awaited Savior, Christ the Lord, has been born. I, I, I still can't imagine the jubilant declaration of the birth of the Savior that the angels were announcing as they scrolled away the sky and allowed a glimpse of just this cluster of angels to make this announcement. Can you imagine even in heaven, God the Father saying, okay, now I want you, 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 that particular group of angels, your group, go open up the curtain and proclaim my son's birth. We were talking a little bit about 
this in Sunday school about angels rejoicing over someone who receives Christ as their Savior. And, we, and I kind of threw out the question, I wonder how angels rejoice in heaven. Do they leap? Do they forget about their dignity? Do they, what is their joy expressed like? And I think it's probably more demonstrative than what we expect. It's not rigid and stern and, and all this stuff. Heaven is a joyous place that is full of the excitement of Jesus and God and all that he's doing. And so can you imagine what this group of angels did after they made the proclamation and they're up in heaven? You know they didn't just walk back and sit down in their chair like this. You know what I mean? They had to be over the top, if you will, with joy about what was happening because what has, was happening was the fulfillment of pro prophecy over hundreds of years. Now, now, besides the angels proclaiming the Savior, born in the manger, now look at all who heard the news and Mary responded to this and, and how Mary responded to this proclamation. In Luke 2, 18 and 19, and all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. And Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. You know, I think there's a certain strength that comes with a character that ponders thoughts. I mean, I'm, I'm a very um, vocal person when it comes to my thoughts, and, and I put things out there more often than what I should or whatever, right? But the person that has the self-control to take in such magnitude of information and just hold it inside, I think that's a, a marvelous and curious trait of Mary. Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. The people marveled at what the shepherds told them, and Mary pondered them in her heart. The news of the arrival of the long-awaited Messiah would have been almost hard to believe, especially since he came as a baby born in humble circumstances. I mean, this is one of the reasons why many Jewish people didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah, was because he didn't come, in, come the way they expected, and, they, and he didn't come um, uh, accomplishing what he wanted they wanted him to many jewish believers have references to the two types of messiah the suffering messiah and the and the conquering messiah when jesus came in, in a humble way born in a manger died on the cross um, that uh, the scripture points to that then then you look at you look at christ coming as the great conqueror at the second advent so so uh there is there's this information that's there that's presented that's been long awaited um, but yet still at this time it's hard to believe it was hard to believe for them that Christ would come in the way that he came no doubt most of Israel expected a warrior and a mighty king right to set him free from the established government or kingdom it's hard to believe the claims of the Messiah wouldn't stop at the manger. You get what I'm saying there? That, that maybe the birth of the Messiah in the manger would have been, uh, the event would have died in the water, so to speak, <coughs> dead in the water. In other words, we don't, we, we don't recognize this as the Messiah because he came in a manger, came as a baby, didn't come as a king, didn't come as a, as a conqueror, came in this very lowly, humble state. But... God has this plan. As we sang the song, God is sovereign, right? And so God's hand is in place. The Messiah is sent. Jesus is born. Jesus is born. 
As an adult, Jesus claimed to be the bread of heaven and living water. That alone can satisfy our deepest needs. It's kind of like the video. The, the one the very intriguing video, you know, that evangelism through, uh, what, what are those things? Huh? Rea virtual reality. You know, evangelism through cartoons with through a visual that's over your face, right? <laughs> but, but how she found out that, that Jesus could, could heal her life, could give her a new life, could take care of her problems, could, could change her life, could make her happy and not sad. And so um, it's true that Jesus is the, the bread of heaven, the living water um, that can satisfy the deepest of hungers. And Jesus claimed the authority to forgive our sins, praise God, and to offer freely his grace and mercy. He does give grace and mercy to all who seek him. He doesn't reject anybody who seeks after him. I praise God for that. Grace is just that love of God that's being poured out on people, and mercy is not receiving what we deserve from God. God loves you. God is there for you, and for the lost, for the saved, he's there at a great love. In John 14, 6 Jesus claimed to be the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. Now, I want to, I want to preface this message just a little bit here. You're going to find that this message is an evangelistic message. It's an it's a evangelistic gospel presentation message. So you might be thinking, well, you know, the, the majority of us, if not all of us in this room, are saved. We know Jesus. But, but as we go through this, what I would like you to do as I pose a question or make a statement is for you to reaffirm that in your head, in your heart. I do believe that. I do, and you'll find out what I'm saying as we go along. Because the, 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 the mental acknowledgement, the heart acknowledgement of who we believe in can be fortifying and can be um, um, uplifting in our heart and, and can help us to be that much more bold for Christ as we embrace those realities by acknowledging them. So, and John, uh, Jesus claimed he was the only hope of escaping God's judgment, the only path to eternal life. Jesus claimed all authority in heaven and earth, and he promised to return to judge the world in righteousness. There's a comfort in knowing that Jesus, who is God in the flesh and just and holy, is king, and he will come and he will judge in righteousness. It means he's not going to judge with error. He's not going to judge wrongly. He's not going to judge unfairly. He's not going to judge um, as um, um, being out of line. But his judgment will be in righteousness, completely right, holy, pure, acceptable judgment. And so there's, there's, a, there's a comfort for you and I as believers as we live in this world that we live in to know that at one time, Jesus is going to judge the wrong through his righteousness. No one's getting off the hook. You and I, as believers in Christ, we're off the hook in this sense that Jesus took the payment for our sins. Anybody who puts their faith in Jesus Christ, their sins are paid for and forgiven through faith in Christ because of what he did for them on the cross, right? But that doesn't change the fact that we're called to live for him, called to follow him, called to love him with all of our heart, our mind, and our soul, and our strength. In Luke 2, 18 and 19, oh, excuse me. So, um, 
Jesus claimed all authority in heaven and earth, and he promised to return to judge the world in righteousness. So how does that make you feel? What are those, uh, what do you make of those, of such radical claims of who Jesus is? Acknowledgement. He claimed to be the bread of heaven in your own heart and, and mind. Yes, Jesus is the bread of heaven. Yes, Jesus is the living water. Yes, Jesus is the only one that can satisfy the deepest of hungers. Echo that in your thoughts and in your heart. Yes, Jesus claimed authority for, to forgive our sins. And he offers freely his grace and mercy to all people. Echo that in your heart because it helps fortify our faith in him. There are some who would ignore those facts altogether. There are those who, while being very respectful of Jesus, don't take his astonishing claims seriously. You know, when uh, my aunt and uncle, my aunt is from Iran, and my uncle was from Georgia. Not that that's a country, but you know what I mean. And they had met at Georgia, Georgia Tech, and they had got married, and um, long story short, I prayed about sharing the gospel with Aunt Perry. And uh, I shared the full gospel. She was very respectful, very listened very clearly. But she believed that, that, that God reveals himself through different people. And that's part, that was part of the Baha'i, not Muslim, but the Baha'i religion that she was a part of. And my uncle was Catholic. And so, um, in time, my Aunt Perry came to know the Lord, I believe that, as her Savior. And um, she goes to Christian church, she's Catholic, and even though the Catholic things and doctrines there are different for us, um, the, the truth of the gospel of, of Jesus Christ and receiving him as your Savior is available to all who seek him. So I believe that she really has. But the point that I'm trying to say is that... Um, the mentality was that Jesus was just another special person in the, in the mix or the matrix of presenting who God was. And the reality is, as you and I know it, Jesus is God manifested in the flesh. And we can praise God for that. There's no clearer picture of who God is than Jesus. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father also. So there are some who would ignore all these attributes of Jesus that he claims to have, or does have, I should say. There are those who, while being very respectful of Jesus, don't take his astonishing claims seriously. The religion of Islam teaches that Jesus was a prophet and a teacher. The Hindu religion teaches that Jesus is one way of many to find God. Many people want to admire Jesus from a distance, but when it comes right down to it, he's just a nice man with a beard. Okay? C.S. Lewis explained that Jesus did not leave us the option of just respecting him as a good, noble teacher. I like that. He didn't give us the op option of just respecting him as a just, noble <laughs> teacher. His own claims leave no room for that position, even though it is very popular. We really only have three options concerning what to make of these astonishing claims of Jesus. Either he was who he claimed to be, the Lord of all, which he is, but in the minds of those that are thinking about him, 
thinking about during this Christmas time. Maybe they're hearing the message of the gospel. Maybe, maybe the Holy Spirit is working on someone's heart that's, that's thinking about the reality of who Jesus is. Either he was who he said he was, right, Lord of all, or he made these claims knowing that they were false and therefore he was a liar. Or third, he made these claims because he believed them to be true, but in reality they were not, therefore he was either self-deceived or a lunatic. But when it comes to the astonishing claims made by Jesus, there are only three conclusions that we can choose from. Jesus is the Lord, he's a liar, or a lunatic. He cannot just be a man with a beard like Santa. So resonate the truth in your heart and your mind. Say to yourself as a believer, Jesus is Lord. Embed that in your heart. Remind you of yourself of that. Stay, even though you know it, state it, know it. Emphasize it in your own heart. Here's a question. How many Santa movies have we seen where someone is grappling with believing that the man saying he is Santa is really Santa? How about the kid who says, oh, I know there's a lot of Santa helpers out there on the corners and kids going to see Santas that aren't the real Santa, but what if one day you actually walked up to the real Santa and sat on his lap and, and talked to him, Right? You know, that's, that's a thought process of, of, of grabble, grappling with, is Santa real? The movie uh, Miracle on 34th Street, the central focus, is proving that Kris Kringle is really Santa. Now, here's the thought. If mankind would only grapple with the reality of the miracle of the manger more than they do about Santa... I mean, it's, it's almost like for kids growing up, is Santa real and all this stuff? And they, and they focus on that, or the movies focus on that, or the emphasis on you know, proving who Santa is. But if, if the world would, would look at the one who was born in the manger, the one that came unexpectedly like that, because we, they expected him to come as a king and royal and pomp and as a conqueror, but he came as a babe, that if people would just take the thought and think, I wonder if that's true. And you know, you and I, as believers, we can affirmatively say in our own heart, it is true. He did come in a major. I, do, I wasn't there. I know the scriptures, but I know the Lord. And because I know the Lord, and he saved my soul and I have a relationship with him, I know that that's true. It seems much easier for mankind to ignore the long-awaited Messiah or dismiss him quite easily than it is to grapple with, is Santa real? But for this morning, I want us to start with, uh, I want us to start here uh, in this sanctuary with, the, with these questions. Echo them in your mind. Do you believe? What's your answer? Yeah, yes. What about this child born in Bethlehem? Is he the Lord? Is he the Messiah? Yes. What if his claims are true? They are true. He is the bread of life. He is living water. He does give grace and mercy. He is the one who he claims to be. Praise God. And as we focus on that and state that in our heart and our mind, it should 
stir our spirit and say, yeah, it causes us to be a little bolder for him. Think for a moment about the incredible implications. What if there is that awesome someone who knows your name, who knows when you are sleeping, and knows when you are awake? <laughs> you know, that was kind of magical, wasn't it? To think about Santa knowing all these things. It was kind of personal that, God, that Santa was focused on us that way. Well, let's shift the gears in reality. The reality is Jesus is there. Jesus does know our name. He does know when we're sleeping. He does know when we're awake. He does know if we're good or bad. And guess what? He still loves us as we are because we're his. Praise God for that. Praise God for that. And yes, he knows when you've been bad or good, right? He loves you and he longs for you to know and to love him. You know, in, in Zechariah 3.17 um, it talks about how Jesus, how God sings over us. He sings. Can you imagine someone singing over you? I, you at first, you're kind of like, eh, that's kind of weird, <laughs> right? Kind of uncomfortable. But when you think about your Lord and your Savior who died for you, who loves you, who knows you, has not rejected you, receives you completely, and adores you so much that he, as God, creator of heaven and earth, sings over you. Well, what would make him sing over you? His joy for you. <laughs> His love for you. Obviously, he sees you better than you see yourself. <laughs> and he's singing over you and loving you and joyful over you. And as our relationship grows in Jesus, we should be singing, in a sense, over him and singing in, uh, in our joy in him and, and, and loving him and allowing that to overflow because that's the relationship that we are developing in Christ. It's already set with God. He loves us immeasurably, but God wants us to know him so much that our love for him will just be immeasurable and just overflow all of the time. What if this child in Bethlehem really is the miracle of the manger? And he is. What if this Jesus really is who he claims to be? And he is. If he is, then you and I have a decision to make. It is a matter of eternal significance for each one of us. What we need to decide about this child born in Bethlehem not only determines our eternal destiny, now get this, that's our salvation, but it also determines our earthly direction as well. Let me, let, me, let me say, you and I can say we know Jesus is the Savior. We've received him as our Savior. He's our Lord. He's in our life. But then the question goes, okay, what does it mean for him not just to be Savior, but to be Lord of your life? I was talking to Donna this morning, and God gave me a verse to her to support what I was trying to, what uh, this little point about the fact that, that it determines you know, knowing Christ as our Savior, it not only determines our eternal destiny. We know where we're going because we have Jesus in our heart. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. It also determines our earthly direction. What we do with our life, how we direct our life, the path that we live in life is based upon our relationship with God. And 
Jeremiah 9.23 says, Thus says the Lord. And this is the heart relationship that I'm, 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 I, want to re, I want to encourage you about in our relationship with Jesus. Because he sings over us. He rejoices over us. And God wants that heart relationship with him. It says, uh, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might. Nor let the rich man glory in his riches. But let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me. Oh, how rich is that? That I am the Lord exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these I delight, says the Lord. God delights in those who, who let him, uh, 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 knows him who understands him and knows him. How is it possible that we can understand and know God? Well, you know the answer to that. You're a believer. You've got a relationship with Jesus Christ through receiving him as your savior. But as you follow him, that part about our earthly direction is understanding him and knowing him is, is allowing him to change us and focus us and, and to help us to live the life and the path that he would have us to live in him. That's part of that closeness with the Lord. We cannot accept his claims without also recognizing that he has staked his claim on our lives. In other words, he's the Savior, he's the Lord, he's, he, we, make him, we choose to make him Lord or not, He's uh, the bread of life. He's living water. He gives love and grace and mercy and so much more. We, can, we, can, we can't accept those claims without also recognizing that he has staked his claim on our lives. What does that mean? Jesus staked his claims on our life. In 1 Corinthians 6.20 it says, I have bought you with a price. We are no longer our own. We belong to him. We've been bought with a price. Is that robbery? No. Is that, is that squelching our life? No. It, it's us saying, God, you bought me. I'm yours. I belong to you. I praise you that I know you. I praise you that I belong to you. I praise you that I am yours and that you are mine. And in this, I seek you. I seek your face, that meaning your character, who you are, and, and, and in a real personal way. If he is who he says he is, then all of his promises are true. Praise God, because he is who he says he is. Therefore, all of his promises are true. He can, he can really wipe away the painful past. That young lady on the video Learn about Jesus wiping away the painful past. You and I have painful pasts. We don't have to feel the pain of that past anymore because God's forgiven us for the pains of the past. And he's also given us grace to move on from the pains of the past. We, we may have scars that remind us, but the scars don't make us who we are. What makes us who we are or who we are in Jesus? I was, was praying uh, last week and, and this week and saying, Lord, help my joy to be in you more. 
In other words, Lord, make my joy in you. Make my life in you so joyful. I want to be, I want to know the joy of you. Being in you, being with you, walking with you, uh, following you, uh, being close to you, uh, uh, having that warm closeness, all that. I want my joy in you. And God wants to give that to us. He can wipe away a painful past and take away our burden of guilt and regret. God doesn't want us to live with the luggage. He wants us to live in the freedom that he's given us. He can give us a whole new reason to live and fill us with the fullness of his love. He'll fill us with the fullness of his life, with the fullness of his grace. It means it's all true. He is who he is, and he can do what he can do, and he's given us new life in him. The question is, do you believe? Careful. I believe those things are true, but do we believe enough to receive them in our life? Believe enough to receive the love, the grace, the forgiveness, the mercy, the relationship with Jesus that God wants us to have. We must all consider the question and answer for ourselves how we believe. Is he my savior? Yes. Do I believe who he is? Yes. Do I know that he wants a close relationship with me? Yes. Do I believe in him and want that as well? No one can decide for us when it comes to this miracle of the manger. We all know that. We can't force anybody to receive Jesus. If you force them and they, make, and they go through the steps of just praying a sinner's prayer and receive Christ, but they did it under duress, it's empty, vain, it's worthless. Jesus put the question to his disciples one day. So it kind of echoes back on this message because, like I said, the message is a message of a gospel presentation. All of you are saved. You know the Lord. But, you're, but I'm asking you to reaffirm these, these truths, these beliefs, and to hold on to them and to accept them. But now, paralleling with that, Jesus is doing the same thing with his disciples. He's wanting them to reiterate who he is. In Matthew 16, 13 through 16, it says, When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So we just read a list of different religious groups and people and how they think about who Jesus is, right? Jesus is asking the same thing. So they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? See, it's a personal thing. And as believers, it's a reminder. I know who you are. I know that you're my Lord. I know that you're my God. I know you are who you say you are. I know who you are, and I believe, but I also believe in the relationship that God, that you want to have with me. And I want that relationship with you as well. Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. That's music to the ears of Jesus. Because here one of the disciples is acknowledging spot on who he is. You and I need to acknowledge spot on who our Lord is on a regular basis. 
Lord, you are my savior. I am secure. Lord, you are the one who is sovereign. I trust you. Lord, you are the one who sings over me and loves me. And I want to love you and have that security in you as well. You see, we need to take what we believe and receive it by application in our lives. How will you answer that question? Or how do you affirm it? Affirm it. Jesus is the son of the living God. We can say say it another way. Jesus is God in the flesh. Say it another way. Jesus is my God. Jesus is my Savior. Jesus is my Lord. Jesus is my best friend. Jesus is the one that I love. In John 1.12 it says, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. You have to receive Jesus to become a child of God. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. In other words, who he says he is, he is. And you believe in him. If you will open your heart to Christ and trust him to be exactly who he claimed to be, not just Savior, but Lord. We need to understand it. I could say to a lost person, if you believe that Jesus is who he is and you receive him as your Savior, you'll be saved. Praise God. But there's more to it than being saved. It's living a new life. Because that's what he wants with us. He wants us to know that tenderness of love that he has for us and that, uh, that direction that he has for us and that purpose he has for us and how involved he is in our lives. So if you open your heart to Christ and trust him to be exactly who he claimed to be, Savior and Lord, you will not be disappointed. I'm not saying life won't be hard. I'm not saying you won't face challenges and problems, but let me ask you as a Christian who's committed, a person who's committed yourself to living for Jesus and following him, not just packing away an eternal life certificate that you're saved, but, but living, saying I'm saved and I've given my heart to Jesus. And no matter what you've gone through, are you not glad that you know Jesus? Yes. Are you not glad that you have him as your savior? Yes, right? You, are you disappointed in knowing him? Are you disappointed in following him? In spite of what life throws, are you disappointed in knowing him and living for him? The answer should be no. If the answer is yes, then you're putting yourself before God. You're putting your own desires before God. But if your, answer, if your answer is yes or no, I, I'm not disappointed. It's because I trust in my Savior, who is my Lord, and I give myself to him, and I love him, and I'm going to continue to keep my eyes on him and follow him. Christ will prepare a place for you. We already have it in heaven. That's already been prepared. A wonderful new home will you, where you will spend eternity. But we need to learn to live our life here with him. Don't, don't you feel the compassion of the Holy Spirit when we, when we looked at that in Jeremiah 9, 22 and 23, or 23 and 24? He sings over us with joy. 
that love, that interest that God has for us is deeper than what we realize. And it's that love that warms our heart, our spirit, our soul. And we want to be able to give that warmth of love back to the Lord. That here feel our warmth, our love warming his soul. We're created in his image. God has a heart. God loves us. And he loves it when we love him. John 14, 1 through 3, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Amen. Believe also in me. That's what Jesus said. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Forever with God. The marvelous wonder and the plans that God has in heaven and eternity forward is secure for us in him. If you receive Christ as your Savior, all of you have in this room, I believe. Those that are listening, those that might listen later, those that are watching right now, this is the message God has given me. Somebody might be thinking, am I really saved? Somebody might be questioning their security in Christ. But if you truly receive Jesus as your Savior, know that he is your Savior. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. You will receive, and please don't take this disrespectfully or memorizing God, you will receive a new dad, one who is perfect and who perfectly loves you. I said new dad because he's our heavenly father, but there's something about having... When we say Heavenly Father, it puts him out there in some ways, right? Because we're recognizing him in all his greatness. But when we say a new dad, we're saying there's a, there's a one-on-one personal, personal, personal relationship that I have with God, that God has with me. What a blessing. What a blessing that is. You will receive a new dad your heavenly father, one who is perfect and who perfectly loves you. God perfectly loves you and me. What does that mean? That means it doesn't matter what we do. Now, I'm not saying excuse, go and do whatever we want and shame his name. But I'm saying that in spite of who we are and our frailties and our weaknesses and all of that stuff, God's love is perfect. It is immovable. For you. He loves you and he loves me. Is it possible? Could he be who he claims to be? The answer, I believe. Do you? Yes. <laughs>